0: Welcome to the Life Christian Church Podcast, where our mission is to inspire people to the life God dreams for them as we spread His love in ever-widening circles. I am fascinated and want to focus today on a passage of Scripture all the way back in the difficult-to-understand prophecy of Ezekiel. It's approximately 586 B.C., and Ezekiel who was already in exile, has learned that Jerusalem has fallen to the Babylonians and that all of God's people are either exiled or about to be. They will be, metaphorically at least, in the wilderness, separated from God's dreams for them. But Ezekiel tells them that their exile will only be a temporary dislocation and that even while in exile they will still be blessed. Through Ezekiel, God says, Ezekiel 34, I will make a covenant of peace with them. Now just to make sure you're tracking with me, them are these people who are being exiled. Okay, Them are the people who are being driven out of, out of Jerusalem and driven into either literally or metaphorically the wilderness. I will make a covenant of peace with them, God says and rid the land of savage beasts so that they may live in the wilderness and sleep in the forest in safety. I will make them and the places surrounding my hill a blessing. I will send down showers in season. There will be, as the choir just sang, showers of blessing. The trees will yield their fruit and the ground will yield its crops. The people will be secure in their land. They will know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and rescue them from the hands of those who enslaved them. They will no longer be plundered by the nations, nor will wild animals devour them. They will live in safety and no one will make them afraid. Now, this is a multi-layered prophecy, as is so often the case in the New Testament. The larger context, the ultimate future fulfillment of this prophecy has to do with the then future coming of the Messiah, who we now know is Jesus, who will make and is making and will finally make everything right with the world. This prophecy also alludes to the fact that the people who were in exile would be delivered from exile and returned back to Jerusalem in a relatively short amount of time, according to Jeremiah's prophecy, and and now we know, according to history, about 70 years. So there's an ultimate future prophetic reality to this that's fulfilled in Jesus and will finally be fulfilled through what Jesus did at the end of the age. There is an immediate future aspect of this prophecy in that it speaks to these Jews who've been sent out into exile that they're going to be returned back to Jerusalem in a relatively short amount of time, in many of their lifetimes. And then there is an immediate fulfillment of this prophecy, which is to bring comfort to, to the people who were in the present and very real circumstance of being exiled. The prophet says, even while they were in the wilderness, even before their return to Jerusalem, even before the Messiah comes and makes everything right in the world, even while they're in the wilderness, they would live and be safe and have abundance and rest. God said, even in the wilderness, I will make you and the places surrounding my hill a blessing. There will be showers of blessing. So, over the last several weeks, we've been talking about how much God wants to bless us and bless the world through us. How that the story of the Bible is a story of blessing. Over 500 times in Scripture, this subject is referred to God's intention to bless his people. And it begins in God's very first interaction with humanity in Genesis chapter one, verse 28, where we're told God bless them. This speaks of the heart of God towards the people he created. Of course, those people rejected the blessing, were exiled from Eden. And then had to fulfill their blessing in the con- find blessing in the context of the wilderness, if you please, but at the end, we find God getting what He wanted in the beginning. The very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis one, God blessed them, and then came the curse. But in the last chapter of scripture, revelation chapter twenty two we find paradise restored, we find Eden now. Being the, the ultimate and eternal reality, and we find that the curse has been removed and that only blessing remain. This speaks of God's heart for his people since the very beginning. And this is what will happen in the end, which actually will stretch out into eternity. God wants to bless, People, But in between Eden in the beginning and Eden in the end, the blessing in the beginning and the blessing in the end, there's a whole lot of wilderness. Why? Because, as I've already alluded to, in our genesis, humanity chose to live their own way instead of God's way, and through their own decision were, again, separated from God, exiled from Eden, and left to sort things out in the wilderness. In the meantime, God began to execute a plan He had conceived even before He created the world to redeem humanity and restore them to His blessing and Eden, what they had in the beginning. This plan culminated in the life, death, resurrection, and exaltation of Jesus. Jesus did what was necessary to bring the blessing back and restore us to Eden. Because of Jesus... Life in the age to come will look like the life God wanted in the beginning, but again, right now, the present reality is that there's a whole lot of wilderness. We are still exiled. And this is the present human condition. I uh, write in chapter 1 of The Lord Bless You about how uh, Sharon and I had the opportunity to visit the Sistine Chapel in Rome Uh, some years ago, and how I was mesmerized looking at Michelangelo's creation of Adam painted on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, minus the modesty bar. But um, as I looked at Michelangelo's perfect specimen of a human being, it was easy for me to imagine God blessing this guy, which is what he did. Several years later, I was visiting the John Paul Getty Museum in Los Angeles, and I saw another painting that really moved me, a painting by John Francois Millet. The the painting is called Man with a Hoe. It's a picture of a man bent over in back-breaking labor with a hoe in his hand trying to extract the basic necessities of life from the earth, Malay was a religious fatalist who believed that people were tragically condemned to bear a heavy burden. And as I'm standing there in the Getty Museum looking at this painting, I found my heart aching. I don't know exactly why except that when I looked at this painting, I saw Adam after the fall. I can imagine that perfect Adam in the beginning being blessed by God, but can God bless this guy can he bless this guy exiled from Eden, living under a curse and separated from everything that God wanted for him in the beginning? And I realized that that burdened guy is us making mistakes, suffering pain. Torn by broken relationships, fighting burnout, slammed by world events, far too often lonely, anxious, or sad. The question is, can God bless troubled us as we attempt to navigate the terrain of a damaged, broken world? And The answer to the question actually is yes. He wants to, he can, and he will if we will let him This is why I find this prophecy in Ezekiel 34 so encouraging. It captures the heart of God for people even who are in the wilderness. Yes, ultimate redemption is coming. Yes, Eden will be restored in the age to come. But even now, while you're in the wilderness, God says through Ezekiel, I will make a covenant of peace with you. Who? The exiled person, separated From God's perfect intention, I'll make a covenant of peace with you. I'll rid the land of savage beasts so that they may live in the wilderness and sleep in the forest in safety. I will make the places surrounding my hill a blessing. I will send down showers in season. There will be showers of blessing. To who? Those people who were living in the wilderness. I love this imagery. Showers of blessing. It's like God saying, wherever you go, I'm going to make it rain blessings. Wherever you are, you're going to be blessed. And whatever place you're in is going to be blessed as well. I'm going to make the garden grow even in the midst of the wilderness. You will taste the future Eden now. There will be showers of blessing. I couldn't help uh, when I was studying this passage to think of the humorous and revealing scene from the movie The Truman Show. It's where Truman realizes that the conditions in his world are being manipulated by some force beyond himself in an attempt to bend his will to theirs. And in this case, in this scene, and many of you will remember it, uh, he, he figures out that someone is making it rain. Maybe just making it rain just on him. Remember this. the image i had in my mind when i thought about showers of blessings where's it going to rain wherever you are wherever you are you get up in the morning and commute on the train it's going to rain showers of blessing on the train you walk the streets of manhattan it's going to rain wherever you're walking you walk into worse work showers of blessing you come back home in the evening showers of blessing Where's it going to rain? Wherever you are. Even in the middle of a broken world, you through your faith in Jesus have made a covenant of peace with God and you will experience showers of blessing. God wants to make it rain in your life. So let's talk about three things to close this series. Three things to remember in order to keep the showers falling. Three things to remember in order to keep the showers falling. And I just I warn you, I apologize. I'm I'm a little I'm fired up today, I guess. And when I get fired up, I find myself yelling and I'm I'm yelling because I'm happy. I may look intense, but I feel it so strongly. I want you to feel it so strongly. All right, so having said that, I'm going to try to settle down just a little. Somebody brought a guest, I'm sure, thinking I wish Pastor Terry would be dignified today. Well, good luck with that, but I'll try. Here's the first thing to remember. Remember that everything in history and in your life is moving toward Eden. This is a really big idea, guys. It's a big idea because it's a biblical idea. Everything in history, consequently, Everything in your life is moving toward Eden. I want to come back to a point we focused on early in this series and already again today. I'm going to repeat myself. God's story with humanity began in the Garden of Eden. In Eden, conditions were perfect. Human beings lived under God's blessing. This blessing showed up in a relationship with God so harmonious that they walked with Him in the garden every day. This blessing showed up in their relationships. They were fully transparent with one another and felt no shame. This blessing showed up in their work They worked and cared for the garden, but they worked so joyfully and purposefully in partnership with God, they did not even sweat. This blessing showed up in their health. They were not sick or in pain. This blessing showed up in their resources. They had everything they needed and more. This is how things were in the beginning, and this is how things will be in the end. Even though humanity's choice caused us to be exiled from the garden into the wilderness, everything in history is moving us back to Eden, everything, Jesus came to bring the garden back. You remember that scene uh, in the Gospels where uh, particularly, I believe this is the Gospel of John, where Mary Magdalene has gone to the garden to find Jesus, and she discovers the tomb is empty, and she turns around and she sees someone. She believes it's the gardener, but it's actually Jesus. And the way most people talk about that is that she was mistaken. She mistaked Jesus. She mistaked the, uh, uh, uh she, she thought it was the gardener. It actually was Jesus. But in fact, that wasn't a mistake that God's showing us something in that imagery there. He was the gardener. He wasn't the gardener in that garden, but he was the gardener who created Eden. And he's the garden who through the work of the gospel is bringing Eden back again. It's fascinating to note how much this restoration of Eden is referred to throughout Scripture, particularly in Old Testament prophecy. But you find, you find uh, allusions to it, hints of it, explicit things said about it, all through Scripture. Everything is about bringing back what God wanted in the beginning. Consider, and there there are many ways we can get at this, but let's get at it like this, just so I can kind of maybe paint a little bit of a word picture for you. Consider just the physicality of Eden. Scripture indicates that Eden was situated on a mountain, that the four great rivers which watered the earth derived from one source, unending source of water in Eden. In Eden, we're told explicitly that Every beautiful tree grew, and every tree that was good for food. In Eden, the animals were not wild, and Adam was able to name each one of them. And though a lot could be said about the physicality of that place, I'm always struck by the intimation in Scripture that the ground of the garden was littered with precious minerals, sparkling gems, colorful jewels, the prophet Ezekiel refers to those walking in Eden as walking among the fiery stones. Now, our knowledge of this is limited, but I like to imagine that Adam and Eve had to watch from keeping, to keep from stubbing their toe on, a, on mother loads of gold jutting up from the ground. And why not? See, that was Eden, In Eden, things that are so hard to attain now were easily obtainable then. You didn't have to go mining for gold. The gold was everywhere. And by the way, in that great garden city that closes uh, Scripture and that ushers in the New Age, it appears we're actually going to walk on streets of gold. God will have, in the end... What he wanted in the beginning. Eden was a beautiful, colorful place imbued with God's glory. So the prophet Isaiah connects some dots around this in, in some of his prophecies, the glorious prophecies in, in, in Isaiah. He prophesied what would happen when the Messiah came. And when he did, he frequently used Edenic language. And why not? The gardener, Jesus Christ, came to bring the garden back. So for instance, Eden was a garden. Well, Isaiah wrote, the Lord, and this is all about what the Messiah would ultimate, this is the ultimate fulfillment of these prophecies, what the Messiah, Jesus, would bring. The Lord will surely comfort Zion and will look with compassion on all her ruins. He will make her deserts like Eden, her wastelands like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the sound of singing. We're told that Eden was situated on a mountain. Well, Isaiah said in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Eden, we're told, was the world's source of water. Well, Isaiah said, guess what? Waters will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool. The thirsty ground bubbling springs. In Eden, the animals were not wild. Well, what would you expect things to be like When Eden is restored, Isaiah said, the wolf and the lamb will feed together and the lion will eat straw like the ox and dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Eden was littered with precious and semi-precious jewels. Well, Isaiah has God saying, my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace removed. Afflicted city... Lashed by storms, speaking to your present circumstance, and not comforted, I will rebuild you with stones of turquoise, your fountains with lapis lazuli. I will make your battlements of rubies, your gates of sparkling jewels, and all your walls of precious stones. I say this to reiterate that what Jesus did through his life, death, resurrection, and exaltation, is moving everything toward Eden. And that you should expect that if you have believed in Jesus, that everything in your life is moving toward Eden as well. It's a great biblical word. It's the word regeneration. Regeneration. And we understand from the teachings of Scripture that when we believed in Jesus and were born again, that one way, that experience, that reality can be described is as regeneration. When we believe in Jesus and are born again, we are regenerated. And That word regeneration in the original language of the Old Testament is a combination of two words. And those two words are Genesis again. When we believe in Jesus and we come alive to God and all God wants for us, we begin to experience Genesis again. It doesn't mean that everything is like Eden again. It does mean that we are becoming more and more like what God wanted in the beginning and that we should be experiencing less wilderness and more Eden in our lives. And even in the midst of this crazy world, wherever we are, it's always raining showers of blessing. What would it look like? for your life to respect the, to, to, to reflect the Garden of Eden more and more, your relationship with God, your relationship with others, your health, your work life, your financial life. I challenge you to look at some of the areas in your life that look too much like wilderness and not enough like Eden and to live with an expectation that you're going to experience more Eden and less wilderness in your life. On the first day of this series, five weeks ago now, after I kind of did the seminal message around all of this, some of which I'm reconnecting us to today at the end of this series intentionally, I uh, invited you to grab a, a card in a seat back pocket close to you. And on one side of the card, it says wilderness. And on the other side of the card, it said Eden. And I ask you to think about something in your life that looked too much like wilderness and not enough like Eden. And to write the wilderness part on one side, what it would look like if it looked more like Eden on the other side. And then hundreds and hundreds of you brought the cards forward. We had the cross to my left and to your right over here on the stage, for those of you who weren't here. And we took those We took those cards and we affixed them to the cross with the wilderness side to the cross and the Eden side outside so that we understood that we're, that Jesus nailed all of the curses to the cross and he brings us blessing in return. Well, this week, Thinking about all of this, I went and looked at some of the cards. No one's names are on this. No one knows whose name is related to what card. But here are are some of the kinds of things I saw. This is what I'm talking about. So, this person wrote that wilderness was for them their broken home. And Eden for them was a loving home. This person wrote that the wilderness for them was that they had been diagnosed with cancer. But Eden, on the other side, was complete healing. This person wrote that the wilderness for them was that they were financially struggling for themselves and for their children. Eden, for them, was to have financial freedom. This person wrote wilderness. Wilderness is their daughter's loss of faith. And then on the other side, Eden looks like this. My daughter acknowledging that Jesus is Lord over her life and that He loves her and that He has great plans for her. I'll tell you what, friends, because of Jesus, because of your faith in him, because you've been regenerated, you should expect to be experiencing more Eden and less wilderness. There is a God force, a gravitational pull occurring in the universe that's pulling us back to Eden, back to what God wanted in the beginning. And you should expect that that powerful God force, the Spirit of God living in you, is going to make your life more like Eden too. even while you're in the wilderness. I want you to get up and expect that every day. I want you to look at your life and find those things that don't reflect God's good intentions and to be dissatisfied with those things. And expect that God wants to bless you. Let me redefine again blessing. This is how we talk about it in the book. And this is how we've been teaching about it in the last five weeks. To be blessed is to be in harmonious relationship with God who wants to do good in us, to us, and through us. Now sometimes... He's doing good in us in a way that doesn't feel like He's doing good to us. But the reason why we experience that, sometimes He's working on us to develop our character to help make us more like Christ, to help us become the people that He wants us to be. He's doing good in us sometimes so that He can do more good to us and ultimately so He can do more good through us. Now here's the second thing. To remember in order to keep the showers falling. Is everybody okay? Everybody doing fine? Everybody still awake? Everybody still? All right. Here's the second thing. It's to remember to be a part of God's so that. Remember to be a part of God's so that. It's important, essential even, to remember that God sends rain for a reason, In the context of this message, we can say that God sends the rain so the garden can grow. And this is certainly true as it concerns showers of blessing. Here's what Ezekiel said. Again, he said he has God saying this, I will send down showers in season. There will be showers of blessings. The trees will yield their fruit and the ground will yield its crops. Which means these showers of blessing are supposed to produce something. It's not just so the ground can get wet or so the the person can get soaked. It's so that something can grow. That will be good for food. God doesn't shower us with blessings just because he wants us to be soaked with good things. He showers us with blessings because he wants to do good in us, to us, and through us. He is at work creating a better world, and He wants us to join Him in that project. He blesses us, but He wants His blessings to flow through us. We are not to be reservoirs just capturing and holding the showers of blessing that fall. We are to be rivers through whom blessings flow and which spread Eden beyond us, to the whole world. It's not just about our experiencing Eden. It's about God's heart for every human being to have what God wanted when He made humanity. See, this was part of God's original project. Adam and Eve were to multiply themselves. Remember Genesis 1.28, God blessed them. And then immediately He purposed them. He told them what He made them for. We've been talking about how that blessing and purpose are inextricably connected. Adam and Eve were to multiply the God image through uh, their relationship with each other to the entire planet. And they were to spread Eden to the entire planet. The Garden of Eden was the only cultivated place in the earth. The rest of the world was wilderness. Adam and Eve were to multiply the God image and spread Eden everywhere. See, blessing wasn't just about them it was about what god wanted to do in the world and we must remember that as much as god wants to bless us it's never just about us it's about what god wants to do in the world and how he wants you to partner with him in accomplishing his purposes on this planet i love the way the psalmist prayed for blessing using some of the classic phraseology around blessing, but attaches the words, so that, to it. Everyone, if you would please say, so that. So that. that. Notice, hear this beautiful prayer, but notice the so that's. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. Our desire for blessings, our prayer for blessings must have a so that. We should want to be blessed so that God's work will get done on the earth. So I ask you a question, friends. What is your so that? If you were blessed in all the ways that you want to be blessed, hope to be blessed, believe that God wants to bless you, which He does, if you were blessed in that way, what would your so that be? How would your blessing spread God's blessings to others? There must be a so that to our desire for blessing. One of the things that I've stressed in this series and will stress again in a moment, is that God's blessings flow from grace. He blesses us because He wants to bless us. It's a decision He made. It flows from a decision He made, what He wants to do. But it's also clear in Scripture that He gives us blessing with an expectation that those who are blessed will use their blessings, the blessings God has given them in His service for His cause, to advance His mission. And that when we cooperate with Him in this, When His showers of blessing become rivers of blessings through us, then, and this principle is found throughout Scripture, He can bless us even more. Therefore, when God blesses us, we must hold on to what He's blessed us with loosely. We must always be willing to offer it to God for Him to use as He pleases. When I'm talking about blessing here, I'm talking about blessings in all kinds of ways. Maybe you've been blessed with your connections in the business world. Maybe you've been blessed with uh, uh, your relationship with your family. Maybe you've been blessed with a a business that's flourishing. Maybe you've been blessed in some unique way uh, with your, in your intellect and your ability to you think critically about issues. Maybe you've been blessed in having a special gift and acquired skills from that gift around strategic planning, whatever. I mean, we can, whatever you want to think of in terms of blessing. I'm, I want you to know there needs to be a so that to that. You need to be saying, God, how can you use this thing you've blessed me with in a way that accomplishes your purpose on the earth? What is your so that? A great example of, of how this principle works, and i just say this briefly because the language here you just can't avoid talking about, I don't think, when you're talking about this subject, is, is, is that classic passage in Malachi about tithes and offerings. Most of us are familiar with this, but see it now through these lens. This principle is about much more than tithes and offerings, but this offers an important perspective. God says through the prophet Malachi, you robbed me. And then God says, But you ask, How are we robbing you? And God's response is in tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, curse being less than the blessing God intended. You are under, you're living in something less than what I want for you, God says. Your whole nation, because you were robbing me, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be, we might say, so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And here's the here's the here's the big payoff here. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. So God says, I want you to return part of what I blessed you with. Now we're talking about finances. Through the tithe and offerings... Why? God says, because I want to use it for my purposes. I want there to, there needs to be food in my house. There's something I'm wanting to feed people. I'm wanting to move my mission forward. And if you aren't willing to do this, you're going to live outside of my full blessings, which is not what I want from you. And you're going to rob me of the opportunity to bless you with more than I've already given you. Because what I really want to do, God says, is I want to open the windows of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not even be able to contain it. It will soak you and get everyone around you wet. Now, here's the principle. When you take what you've been given and you offer it back to God to use for his purposes, then God is, is able to open the windows of heaven and pour out so much on you that you won't even be able to contain it. Showers of blessings. And the more there's this cyclical thing going on in your lives, God blesses you and you say, God blessed me so that I can. And then you cooperate in what that so that is. Then God opens the windows of heaven more. and he pours out more blessings why so that and on it goes don't rob god of the opportunity to bless you by not being willing to offer back to him what he gave you okay now god wants us to to us to offer all that we are and all that we have back to him for his purposes so he can shower us with even more. And then here's the final. Remember that you should expect to be blessed because God's heart is to bless you. So what are we talking about? Things we need to remember in order for showers of blessings to fall. And to me, I think this is probably the most important thing. You should expect to be blessed. It's so simple, guys. Because God wants to bless you. So, throughout this series, I've tried to stress how that blessing, and again, I repeat myself, flows from God's grace. And that we can choose to live outside of His blessing if we want to. Adam and Eve decided to live their way instead of God's way, and they were exiled from Eden into the wilderness. And each of us can make that choice if we want to. But, And this probably isn't the most theologically correct way to say this, but please get the point. If you will give God half a chance, he will bless you. If you give him any opportunity at all, he will bless you. Why? He wants to. And so the most important part of that, if to be blessed is to be in harmonious relationship with God who wants to do good in us, to us, and through us. The most important part of this is to enter into this covenant of peace with God. It's to get right with God. And the way that this happens, the way we enter into harmonious relationship with God is through confessing our faith in Jesus Christ. It's by saying that we believe in who He is and that we believe that what He did makes us right with God. It's by believing that through His life, death, resurrection and exaltation that he did what is necessary to connect a sinful human being with a righteous God and for us to be able to have peace for us to have a harmonious relationship and part of this as well is that we have to repent and to repent means that we turn from living life our way and we turn to live life God's way well, when we do that, when we say, I don't want to live my way, I, 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 I want to live God's way, and when we confess our faith in Jesus, we are made right with God. We are regenerated. We are born again. We then can begin to experience Genesis again. But that's just the beginning. From that point forward, let me just say, if you've not confessed your faith in Jesus, if you want this full blessing thing This is the opportunity you have, is to confess your faith in Him today. It's to make a conscious decision to turn from living life your way, to say, God, I want to live life your way. Now, then we actually start living in this new reality. We start following Him. We start trying to learn more about Him. We try to learn more about His Word to us. And and none of us do this perfectly. But here's the thing. If you will be sincere, guys, if you will be authentic in your approach to God, you're going to be blessed because God wants to bless you. Let me close with this. Years ago, I heard an ancient parable based in a remote village in India. Again, this is an ancient parable, and I, I say that because... There's some graphic imagery in this parable I'm about to tell you that illustrates a profound point, and I think the graphic imagery is what illustrates it, but it's somewhat graphic. It's a story of a young man who lived in a village and fell in love with a woman from a neighboring village. His love for her was a passionate love, but she did not have those feelings back. And not only that, she was an evil person. And she used his feelings for her to exploit him, made it a game. And at some point, after all of her ploys had, had kind of run out, she told him that she was going to ask him for one final thing in order for him to win her love. She said, I want your unrivaled love, and I know how much you love your mother. And I'm going to require, if you want me, that you take the life of your mother and that you take her heart. And you bring it to me as proof of your love for me. Well, this young man was tortured for weeks and finally entered into a place of just insanity where in a frenzied, frenzied fury finding his mother alone, he takes her life and he takes her heart and he takes her heart to go to this evil woman who he loved and he's running through a thick forest and he trips on uh some undergrowth and when he does he he falls flat on his face and he loses his mother's heart he stands up looks around finds her heart picks it up and when he picks her heart up he hears the voice of his mother coming from her heart and her voice says son are you hurt son are you Are you hurt? Son, are you hurt? We all instinctively grasp the power of this parable. It's the story of a mother's love. There's nothing as powerful on this planet than a mother's love. We know that with every beat, the heart of a mother speaks to her children and says, I love you, I love you, I love you. I love you, but there's a power even greater than the power of a mother's love. It's the greatest power in the universe. It's the love of God the Father for his children. It's the heart of God to bless us if we could hold God's heart in our hands I believe every beat would convey His love and that every beat would say, I want to bless you. I want to bless you. I want to bless you. It doesn't matter what you've done. I want to bless you. It doesn't matter where you've been. I want to bless you. It doesn't matter what you're going through. I want to bless you. It doesn't matter that you broke my heart. I want to bless you. This is the heart of God the Father. And if we'll give God any opportunity at all his heart to bless us will be fulfilled in our lives and it's very simple the reason why is because god wants to bless you will you stand with me please